In this session, I want to talk about six reasons why some, not all, but some microchurches should go online. In fact, I'm running a microchurch online every Saturday afternoon. It's my main church. It's autonomous. Uh, we live all over the country, and we're having a lot of fun together. And almost everything that I say here is going to apply to that. But what I'm really after are those microchurches inside of your congregation. Um, where the life is in your church, some of those should go online. And, and here's six reasons. The first one's going to seem a little strange, especially if you live in the South or someplace that's a warm weather place. But reason number one is that winter is cold and roads can be dangerous. Now, why did I start with this? Because I got a really great story. I spent a lot of time in Mongolia. I was on a two and a half year cycle. I'd go there, you know, quite often, maybe five, six times I've been there. I got some really good lifelong friends in that country. But Mongolia is a really, really cold place. I got there 11 years after the Soviets left. Uh, we got a church planting movement off the ground. It was largely a bivocationally led microchurch movement, although some of the churches grew to three, four, five hundred people. One church even has 700 in it, but it gets with the wind chill factor, not actually that cold, but the wind chill factor drives the temperature down to minus 85 degrees during the winter. Now, when I first went to Mongolia, there was no money. Since then, they found gold, they found uranium. The whole thing has changed, but almost nobody had a car. In fact, there wasn't even a taxi system. If you wanted to get someplace, you just put your thumb out and somebody with a car would stop. You'd negotiate with them. I want to go here. It was kind of a, a, a Uber before there was Uber. If they were going your direction, they would tell you how much they wanted to charge just a normal person driving. But in the wintertime, that would be just brutal. And so what we did was put these guys online in this way. And Sunday mornings, they were still meeting, you know, whatever. They'd pay the price to get there Sunday morning for a church. But we took up a, an obsolete computer offering in our church. And we got a whole bunch of Windows computers, had the whole, you know, software deal. It allowed the pastor to communicate with his team via email. At that time, we didn't have Zoom. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have any of those tools. We did have email, and they could do a round-robin email and hold a meeting, a business meeting, whatever. Then they begin to do microchurches by email. I mean, this is the craziest thing in the world, but it worked for them. And so I want you to be thinking about the fact that in some places, winter is cold and roads are dangerous, and that would be a really good reason for maybe having a Zoom microchurch. But I want you to also think, we're living in a new reality. We're not just responding to a crisis. We're coming out of the pandemic, even coming out of the Delta virus variant. And it, it's not just, you know, we had to do this in a hurry because we had to do this in a hurry. It's what are we going to do strategically to help us stay better connected with our people and help more people to stay better connected with us. And so I want you to be thinking about including Zoom microchurches. Now, I'm really into this idea of Facebook church. My friend John Harris has been doing this and doing it so successfully. But I think in a microchurch, in a local congregation, Zoom is actually a better tool. And I'll tell you why as we get going. The second reason here is that drive time is wasted time. You got people who are really, really busy. Uh, they're running businesses. They got children. They got all kinds of things going on. 
And if they can do microchurch and soon as it's over, they're in their house. It's a wonderful thing. Sometimes you have spouses who are opposed to the other spouse going to church. They're an unbeliever. And they'll tolerate the Sunday morning thing, but they're not much into midweek deals. We had some people, uh, three women in our church back in Kaneohe, back in the day before there was Facebook, before there were cell phones, before there was all that stuff. And their husbands uh, were Christians. They actually came to church with them. Everything was really good. They didn't like them going out at night. These guys were kind of like paranoid. And so these ladies got together on a Friday night and they would go to the phone company. I don't know even how you do this in those days, but they would arrange a conference call every Friday night. And they had a three-person microchurch going on in their life. And, you know, again, technology uh, took up for the, the basic thing that was lacking in their life. But the main thing here is that drive time is wasted time. And if you can cut down on the time cost to people, you're going to get more people in your congregation involved in the microchurches where you want to make disciples. The third point here is that older people hate driving after dark. You know, when I was in Kaneohe, we had a few people who live like two miles away from the church. They'd show up for our Friday night service, which was a big rock and roll service. And they They'd serve and do things to, you know, keep the church going on that. And then they'd come on Sunday morning to meet with their friends because none of their friends were coming at night. A lot of them were coming from Honolulu and went driving through the tunnels. And some of these people are in their 70s and 80s. They just don't like driving at night. The very same people who wouldn't get involved in microchurch because of the driving at night factor would show up every Friday in our church and fold bulletins and work in the landscape, do whatever they could in the office and serve because it was a daytime event. Eventually, we got smart and we had a rule. And this is a pretty important rule. It's a little bit of a sideline here, but something you need to think of. We would not allow anybody to hold microchurch on our church campus because we thought pretty soon everybody will want to be on the campus and then we'll only have how many microchurches can fit on the campus. And that would be a self-limiting deal and we're not going to do that however we made an exception for the older folks that they could hold mini church on friday afternoon the same day that they came to serve they could break up and have mini churches all over the campus and that worked beautifully and one of the things that you got to face so when you're dealing with older people is they oftentimes don't understand technology and here's one of my reasons for not wanting to do facebook in this situation and wanting to do zoom because with zoom there's nothing to learn all you got to do is send them a link, and all they have to do is click on the link. They don't need a Zoom account. They don't need uh, to know anything about the software. All they need to do is click, and then you're going to probably have to coach them to unmute their microphone or whatever, and you're going to have them there. Uh, one pastor that I know during the height of the pandemic, on, on his Sunday morning service, they were broadcasting it, putting it on YouTube and putting it on Facebook Live and whatever. And knowing that older people were going to find it, he gave a guy, a techie guy, and I think he gave him too much time, but he gave him seven minutes each week to explain how to use Zoom so that they could keep their micro churches going all over the island of Oahu. And that worked beautifully. I have a friend in Kobe, Japan, that uh, was really struggling because we've lost all the older people in our church during the pandemic. And my suggestion to him was, well, why don't you send people to their houses 
and help them with their computers because almost everybody has a laptop and train them how to just click on the link and get into the Zoom account. You're going to have to probably do the same thing. And, you know, it's, again, another way for me of putting a lot of people to work in the church, get the techies, or you don't even need to be a techie, to go to people's houses, set them up, show them, put it into their calendar. If, if you can, if they have a, an online calendar, put the link into their calendar or put it someplace where it's written down, someplace where older people are going to be able to access this thing. And remember this, the older people that we're talking about aren't just a bunch of leftover old folks. They're the people who built your church. They're the ones that put the money out. If you did a building, they probably put a lot of labor into it. They serve the Lord faithfully. And so often our churches abandon these people in the latter years of their life. They need to feel connected. And this is just one more way of connecting this, those people. This is not about microchurch. This is all about people. Microchurch is a tool for blessing people. This is not about the tool. This is about the folks. And the next thing that I want to talk about, the, the fourth point here, is that younger people virtually live online. You know, my son and daughter-in-law have to uh, discipline their children. Uh, they don't spank them. They don't ground them. They don't make them go stand in a corner. They, they cut back on their screen time. You know, you get a certain amount of screen time each day, minutes. You can actually save minutes for tomorrow if you want to. But if you get disciplined, well, then you lost that many more minutes for today or for a week or whatever. Uh, it works really, really well. But here's the problem that you and I face. Our churches are graying. Our churches are growing older. This is a phenomenon across the board in the United States. We're not reaching the next generation. In fact, we're not even reaching the next generation that grew up in our churches statistically. And so we need to do something about that. And one of the things that I would do if I was a pastor is I would go to the younger people in my church and go, can you help me? I would like help structuring online microchurches. Now, maybe you already know what to do. I'd still ask them because I want them in the picture. And the side benefit to that is that they know social media really well. Now, I'm not thinking that you want older people on social media. But I am thinking that social media is just one more way for people in the congregation to stay in touch with each other, and particularly within a microchurch. Now, this would be on-site in a house, microchurches, and this would be online microchurches, that they would all benefit from having that added connection. I know of microchurches where they're all reading the same scripture together, and they're all using the YouVersion Bible to do it, and they communicate with each other. I know microchurches where the leader puts his devotions online, and people can interact with the thing. You know, he does like a Facebook Live, and it's just a post. It's not something where he's spending all day talking to people. He spends two or three minutes summarizing his devotions. But once you get younger people into the act, they know stuff that you don't. And what we really need to get over is, is the, the trap that we fell into, at least my generation fell into, and that is that when Facebook first hit and whatever it was that they had before that, we saw it as a tool for inviting people to come to our church. This is not about coming. This is about going. Facebook and, and Instagram and you know all those other things that are out there are there for you to reach out to people rather than for you to invite people to come to you. 
And the more lives that you can touch, the more that you can help your people touch their friends, uh, the more people that are going to get introduced to Jesus. And then some of them are going to come to you. And that's a good thing. The fifth point here is that you can connect personally with more people if you have microchurches online. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. As a lead pastor, I would try to do my microchurch in a night when most others weren't doing theirs so I could get around and visit them because, you know, hey, the pastor showed up tonight and it's very disruptive. It kind of ruins the meeting in terms of the format of the meeting, but you're, you're getting to slap hands with a lot of people and, you know, just hang out and drink coffee and talk and whatever. But again, think about this. If you've got a bunch of micro churches online, how easy it is for you to connect with the people in your church. And again, I want to kind of hail back to the younger people who oftentimes are feeling left out of the church. But by the way, if I was going to visit a microchurch with younger people, I wouldn't just show up. I'd ask permission first because they're going to be a little bit tense about maybe they got some friends that don't go to the church and they think you're an old futz and whatever. Uh, get their permission and they'll be happy that you came. And for sure, the older people in your congregation are going to be happy that you reached out to them and you gave them the extra attention uh, that's gone along with this. Visiting microchurches is a time-consuming deal when you have to go to the physical microchurches, but I surely believe in doing that. Visiting microchurches online, just it's a whole lot easier. And so, you know, we just need to be thinking about different ways that we can make more and different connections with the people, because we're here to equip our people so they go out there and do the ministry. And the more that I can be connected to my people, the better off I'm going to be as an equipper. I'm going to hear things. I'm going to know things. It's going to influence my Bible teaching on the weekend. Um, it works in lots and lots of ways. And the sixth point here is that you're going to reach a whole lot more people. You got to understand that online ministry is not virtual ministry. It's people ministry. You know, the whole idea of virtual church, that's what we came up with when we first, you know, kind of did an online Sunday morning deal way back before they invented Facebook. And, um, and, and we saw it as kind of a, another thing out there. But the truth is, these are real people. And these are real people who spend, you know, 20% of their life online. And so it's just one more way into the lives of real people. Again, it's not about microchurch. It's not about virtual church. It's not about online church. It's not about hybrid church. It's about people. If they're touched, they'll talk. And that's true, you know, whatever you do. If they're touched, they'll talk. If they're not touched, they're not going to talk. No matter how much you train people how to share the gospel or you give them the tools to share the gospel, if they're not touched, they're not going to talk. And you're going to reach more people the more avenues that you have into people's lives and the whole online thing, whether it's a microchurch or it's an extra service on Sunday morning. Think about the, 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 the leper in, in, in Mark chapter one. Jesus tells this guy, don't tell anybody what I did for you. And he goes out and tells everybody. The demoniac of Gadara says, can I come along with you? Jesus actually says, no, go back and tell your friends. If they're touched, they'll talk. And so we need to uh, teach sometimes people how to talk. Uh, people who are into social media are going to use that very effectively. Older people are not. Um, sometimes it, it might come down to just teaching people a, a little template for 
you know, here's how to run a meeting, but another template for here's how to write a note to your friend about the meeting that you're a part of. I want to just throw in a couple of bonus insights. So I didn't make this an eight-part deal because I thought these are a little bit different. And so as we get into bonus insight number one, it's what I've just been talking about, why you need a unique online weekend service. Now, you've got shut-ins, you've got out-of-towners, you got the friends of, of your friends, the people who you know are, are going to be reached, and maybe they live in a different country, more than out of town, out, out of country. And these people are going to end up stumbling their way into the circle of your church if you allow for it. Now, here's, here's a, a, a way of thinking about this. It's better to have bad karaoke than it is to have a bad concert. What do I mean by that? Well, I've talked about this probably several times, but in, in the church that I run on Saturday afternoons, very small group of people, uh, some very hardened individuals, committed Christians, but tough guys. And, you know, we, when we sing, we sound horrible. We're bad karaoke. We, we got, you know, pretty good worship leaders, a couple of them, man and woman. And, you know, they get on there with a the guitar. We sing about three songs and we all sing. And a couple of the guys who are the toughest guys break down and cry every single time. If they were watching a concert, you know, what everybody did when everybody went online and you got, you know, eight people up there with musical instruments just singing to themselves in an empty auditorium, they wouldn't be crying. Bad karaoke involves people. It engages people. You are involved in the process. Much better to have a unique church service if you're going to do anything online where it can be interactive, maybe in a chat room, or maybe you actually just have everybody do open mic and, and you, you know, you, you, you do kind of a little seed planting thing, summarize your message, and then go, let's talk about it. Because if you're going to do it online, it needs to be much more interactive than if you do it in an auditorium. This whole concept of high tech, high touch high tech demands high touch. The more that we're leaning on technology as a tool, the more that we need to be high touch in that particular environment. And by the way, when we're thinking about doing this, one of the things that we need to think about is budget. You know, we spend a lot of money on buildings and all that kind of stuff. It costs $14.95 to operate a Zoom account. You know, if I was pastoring a church, Every person that was willing to lead an online microchurch, I'd make sure the church was, you know, reimbursing them $14.95 a month. But for you to add a service online on Sunday mornings, all it means is you go into a little space somewhere and kind of rehearse your, your message and talk with people for a while, and it'll put you out $14.95. No big deal. Here's bonus insight number two. Keep it simple. Don't get caught in a technology trap. Don't let technology define your ministry. Let your ministry define the technology. You know, I was pressed for a real long time to go on, on television with our ministry in, when I was a pastor in Hawaii. And this was before YouTube. Uh, this is before Facebook Live, all, all of those things that we just kind of take for granted now. But in, in those days, we went on, I guess it was public TV. I don't know what it was. But, you know, we'd break for prayer in the middle of the service, and we'd spend eight, 10 minutes doing it. 
Uh, we'd break for fellowship in the middle of the service. It wasn't just turn around, shake hands, sit down. It was turn around and hang out and talk with people. And so we had a four camera operation going. It was fairly sophisticated. It had guys in a little room with switchers and whatever. But during those interactive times in our service, we did not want the TV to destroy what we were doing as a congregation. So we just have a person sit off on the side with a, holding a microphone, almost like a news reporter and talking to everybody and kind of explaining what's going on here and then explain the implications for their life. We're sorry you're not here experiencing this, but here's how you can, you know, and we would just go on from there. But the, the, but the key thing here is keep it really, really simple. And I have a tool for you. It's called Logitech C930E, Logitech C930E. It's what I'm using to record this right now. I'm using the camera function. I have a different microphone, although it has a microphone built into it, but my room is really echoey. And so I have to use a different microphone to dump the echo out of the video that I'm making. But I have another C930E that I keep downstairs for Saturday afternoons. And I just strap it onto my laptop. And along with this uh, camera, which will put you out maybe a couple hundred bucks, uh, comes a piece of software where I can zoom it, I can change the angle, I can do a whole lot of different things that you could do with a really sophisticated video camera. I, I bought a couple of very expensive video cameras and couldn't make it work at all when I first started to do this kind of coaching. But this little tool has worked really well. It's worked so well that I bought several of them for other people. And so, again, as we're talking about technology, uh, you need to ramp up a little bit to make it good. But again, doesn't cost very much to get a tool that works really, really well. And, and I would use that. Now, we're still supposed to be talking about doing microchurch online not doing just Sunday morning church online. I've sort of strayed into that. Getting back to microchurch online, you might want to pick up a C930E for every microchurch leader. And you probably would like to make sure that you build a template for a meeting that will be a little different than the template that you would use for a meeting with people who are meeting live and in person. Please consider some microchurches belong online. And they are going to extend your reach, your touch, your contact with your people and their people.